15, the Gospel of John in chapter 15. What a beautiful hymn for us this morning to end with and to begin with. couple of things I was thinking of by way of introduction. My introductions usually come last in my sermon preparation. Sometimes they don't come at all until the very end. And then here it is as I consider the title of my sermon, Bearing Witness of Christ. Bearing Witness of Christ. As I remember a quote that has always stuck with me, um, however you want to take the quote, but it It's meaningful, I believe. It's from Leonard Ravenhill, and he asked the question, are the things we are living for worth Christ dying for? And I would add to that, what kind of witness are we in our lives? What kind of witness am I being, O God? What kind of witness of Christ am I in my home, at the job, in public, at church, but all before the face of the one true God. God, what kind of witness am I? And then I'm reminded again of the brevity of life. The brevity of life. Life is indeed short compared to eternity. I think it was Ravenhill again. He said, our life on earth is just a dress rehearsal for eternity. Consider that. As we consider John 15, consider the witness, our witness of Christ. His testimony, the testimony of the Holy Spirit of God, their testimony, the testimony of the disciples, and our testimony, our testimony as born-again Christians today. What is it? What is our testimony? What is our witness? How is it? What kind of witness do we have? Jesus has been speaking to His disciples about the hatred that the world has towards Jesus and towards the Father. This hatred is what the disciples will have to endure. It's a hatred, as we're reminded, and as I reminded us, that we will have to endure. Verse 26 and 27 of John 15 are very much at home in the context here. And chapter 16, through the first four verses, continues to be on the topic of persecution or the hardship, the focus shifts from the actual cause of persecution, verse 18 through 25, to the response of His disciples in persecution. The opposition continues to be about Jesus Christ, who Jesus is, what Jesus said, what Jesus did, and how He transforms our lives, and who we represent on this earth in our lives. That is where the opposition is. That is where, indeed, the rub is. Jesus has quite a bit to say about the Holy Spirit in this portion of His discourse. We're just going to read this through the entirety, and our focus this morning is going to be on verse 26 through 27. So we're going to go from where we were to where we are going. Verse 18, John chapter 15. If the world hates you... You know that it has hated me before it hated you. This is Jesus speaking, of course. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. 
If they persecuted you, they were persecuted. Excuse me. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they do, they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you, so that you may be kept from stumbling or falling away. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do, because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you, so that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go away. The helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. He will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Amen. Again, our verses for us, 26 and 27. God, I ask for the help of the Holy Spirit at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So when the Helper comes, who Jesus will send to them from the Father, this Helper, this is His testimony. The Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about me, says the Lord Jesus Christ. So what or who is the testimony going to be about is going to be about Jesus Christ. The Helper, of course, is the Holy Spirit. We, we understand that. We know that. Also translated as the Encourager or the Counselor. And if we consider the translation, the counselor, we have a legal vernacular here. That is as if the Holy Spirit is presenting the case for Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, the counselor, bears witness of Christ. That is his specific function, role, in this context where we are in John chapter 15. The context, as we remember, is a theme of how the world responds to Christ and his followers with hatred and persecution. When Jesus is no longer with them, 
when he ascends, the Holy Spirit will descend and will bear witness concerning Christ to a world who hates Christ. And the Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Remember the shock that we talked about, that you heard, that I preached, that we read. Remember the shock of the hearers of Jesus saying that they would deny him, his closest disciples, remember. And they said, no way, emphatically, no way, we will not deny you. And specifically, Peter, as we know, did three times. Imagine the shock that he, he, Jesus says, I was going, uh, he's leaving. He's going back to the Father. And here they were with Jesus for three years continually, day in, day out. And he says, I'm going away and I'm not going to be with you anymore. And now he says, uh, you're going to be hated by the world. And he says that they're going to try to kill you and they're going to say it is offering services to God. So here, in the context of saying these hard things, and they are no doubt in shock, probably tearful, and struggling with this, in some ways, he comforts them once again, as he did in chapter 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. And in verse 17, that is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. And in verse 26, chapter 14, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So here, again, Jesus is reminding them, and he is comforting them in the midst of things that he says that it would be hard to hear and hard to swallow. This helper who comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And as we just read, Jesus said earlier that the Father would send the Spirit. And here he says, the help, when the helper comes to I will send to you from the Father, Jesus is saying this. Is there a contradiction? Absolutely not. The sending of the Spirit of God is an activity that concerns both the Father and the Son. No contradiction. The Spirit is connected to the Father and to the Son. Verse 26, the emphasis is on the activity of the Son in sending the Spirit. The sending was a matter of of the future, near future. Pentecost had not yet come because Jesus had not yet risen from the dead and ascended on high. Uh, William, William Hendrickson helps us, out, he, he helps us out with this. He says, Were we to say the fact that John 15, 26 states that the Son will send the Spirit proves that the Father does not send Him, we would be wrong. If we were to say the fact that 15, 26 states that the Spirit proceeds from the Father proves that He does not proceed from the Son, we would also be wrong. He adds, after all, after all, is it so strange that Jesus, speaking as mediator between God and man himself, would, during the period of his humiliation when he was on earth, speak of the Spirit as proceeding from the Father? Not strange at all. So let us not get caught in the weeds of that. Our focus here should be on the witness of the Spirit as a continuance of Jesus Christ's ministry. Jesus says, the spirit of truth will testify about me. 
very specific focus in the testimony about, of the Holy Spirit. It's about Jesus Christ, the Spirit of truth. When God testifies, the Holy Spirit of God testifies, it is always in connection with the Word of God and never in contradiction. If we consider that, that would uh, really help us out with a lot of erroneous things that are taught today concerning the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies in and to the world. We can consider this as an objective and a, a subjective witness. An objective witness through the written Word of God, the inspired writings, the Holy Spirit of God, the inspired writings, as Peter says, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That's 2 Peter 1.21. And subjectively, uh, in man, as, as Paul says, in, in regenerate man, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he did not rely on superiority of speech or of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So again, the Spirit does not testify in contradiction to Christ or in contradiction to the Word of God. We could save ourselves a tremendous amount of grief if we considered that today with all the charismatic chaos that goes on. So first and foremost, we have His testimony, the testimony of the Holy Spirit. He testifies of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we have their testimony, the testimony of the apostles, those right here who are with Him. He says in verse 27, And you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. You will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. This present ongoing testifying of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, there's two different ways to take this. Greek scholars take this as either an indicative, you are testifying, or as an imperative, which is a command, you must testify. Either way, we understand through the rest of the Scripture as we read that we are to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will testify about Christ. The disciples will also testify about Christ. But when I asked this question as I was considering this text, when Jesus says that they were with him from the beginning, what did he mean by that? Was he talking about election? As it says in Ephesians, I'll just read this for you, in chapter 1, verse 4 through 5, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. So we could say, yes, I see that, because indeed, uh, God chose them before the foundation of the world, so they were with Him be from the beginning, which would make sense for all Christians and all that are testify of Christ. Yet it seems the specific focus here is the fact that those disciples were with him from the beginning of his ministry. Those men, eyewitnesses of Christ for three years. The New Testament was written by men who were there 
eyewitnesses, not by hearsay. John opens up 1 John. I'll read this for you as well. In verse 1 and verse 2 and 3, from the beginning, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life with, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we see there John speaking of what was from the beginning. Peter said, I'll read this for you as well in Second Peter chapter 1, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. These disciples were with him from the beginning, since he called them, throughout his ministry, as eyewitnesses. The word for witness in the Greek is where we get the term martyr, which we're familiar with that term. One who loses his life for his religious testimony. And it's a word that is used wrongly today when people say, oh, they're martyred for this and this, and politically speaking, and they really need to just be quiet. Indeed, some of these men who were, in fact, were martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. And as we know, and as we've studied, God often uses suffering and martyrdom for times of advancement of his kingdom. The early church leader, Tertullian, said to the persecuting powers of the day, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So, as we consider our roots, if we can use that vernacular, the roots of the New Testament, the roots of Christianity, of the New Covenant, it began with a band of weak men. These disciples used by God to turn the world upside down. If we, re, we study their lives and we study who they were and how they failed, and we ought to remember that and realize, wow, I really have not arrived. These were not great men of God. They were weak men used by a great God. So let's be careful with that talk today too. Oh, he's a great man of God. No, he is not. He is a weak man being used by a mighty and great God. It's only by his grace that that man is used by God. So we need to be very, very careful with that. There's so much idolatry and with, with ministers and such today, the famous ones, it's really sad, sickening, and disturbing. We have his testimony, and then their testimony, and then our testimony. Our testimony, our third point. Our testimony. And by the way, if you didn't know, most of you know, that we're having a baptism today after the service. And so we're going to, as soon as the service is done, we're going to make our way down there and see our brother be baptized. Hear his testimony first of why he's being baptized, 
and then witness his baptism and then the covenant reading of several people coming into membership as way of testimony of Christ. Our testimony. Third point. Our testimony. What does this, this have to do with us? Verse 26 and 27. Okay, we see what Jesus is saying to the disciples. We, we see what he's saying about the Holy Spirit is coming and the testifying and the disciples work to testify. The apostles, yes, we see that. We understand why. What does this have to do with us? It's a good question. It has everything to do with us. Consider some words from D.A. Carson. Although the Spirit may bear witness to the world apart from Christians, it would be out of step with these chapters to think that Christians are thought of as those who bear witness apart from the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we are to testify of Christ because we belong to Christ. We're responsible to bear witness of Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit of God residing within us. God uses various means to accomplish His will. One of the means God uses is Christians. To do what? To proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit accomplishes much through human agencies. Remember the mindset of the disposition of those in the world without Christ. We've covered this. John 15, 18-25. The world hates Jesus, the world hates His Father, and the world hates you, Christian. He was hated because of who he was, what he did, and what he said. Jesus was the most humble and loving man that ever lived, the Son of God. And as we know, he was without sin, yet he was hated. So let us not think that we can live in such a way and smile in such a way that the world is just going to be so attracted to us when they were very unattracted to Jesus Christ because of their hatred for him. The ministry of Jesus Christ indeed brought division. Indeed, it brought division between light and darkness. John 3, I'll read this for you as well. Jesus says that he who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may have been manifested as been wrought in God. And in John 12, read this for us as well. John 12 and verse 39. For this reason they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, For he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, many of the rulers believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. How this can trip someone up today. The approval of man, rather than the approval of God. Loving that, and being so concerned about that, rather than the concern about uh, the approval of God. 
And Christ and Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but he who sent me. He who sees me has seen the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. So the world hates Jesus Christ, hates his followers, his teaching divides, his, he preached repentance, he is light of the world, we are lights in this world, the world is in darkness. Now considering that, again, do not think that smiling and saying nice things to lost people is indeed proclaiming the gospel because it is not. We should smile and say nice things to lost people, but that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world does not care how much joy you have that Jesus has given you because they think they have all the joy in the world and they do not need him. They do not care that Jesus loves you and that he may love them because no one loves them more than themselves. And do not fall into the trap, into the thinking that before you proclaim the gospel to anyone, you have to be a friend with them for so long before you even open their mouth. Tell that to John the Baptist. Jesus called men who he did not know, or they did not know him, He called them, they followed him, and then they became friends. Very close and tight, by the way. So not everyone is a long-term plan of witnessing. Some are, we understand that. Some we have in our lives that we can say no more to. But let us not pretend and let us not fall into the trap of saying everyone is like that, so we're just not going to say anything. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. Consider this text. Turn there, please. Romans chapter 10. Because we can get way off track and have good motives of wanting to witness and have good motives of wanting to talk about things. But we have to remember What God uses to save souls. Chapter 10. Verse 13. We start with that. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. There's a statement there. There's a scripture there. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Richard Phillips, our witness must, says this, our witness must therefore not be a Christian lifestyle to our experiences 
or to our opinion of current affairs, but it must center on the biblical testimony to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to share our testimony with someone, we share the testimony of Jesus Christ, what he has done, first and foremost. And let me double down on this. Consider what we often call personal testimonies. When someone gets the opportunity to share their life change from before they were a Christian to now as they are a Christian, what's the problem we see with that? Well, whether it's the lost people or other Christians, usually it is 90% who they were before Christ, 9% of how they live now, and 1% of Jesus and the gospel. It ought not to be that way, especially when there is lost people. It is not about us, it is about Christ. That is the God, the God who saves, not us. Now listen to Sproul. This article, this, um, that he, well, it was a podcast, I think, and it's called, Your Testimony is Not the Gospel. Your Testimony is Not the Gospel. So you don't want me, you don't like when I say it, how about Dr. Sproul? Now, when we hear all the time, I committed, I'm committed to the gospel, to preaching the gospel, to sharing the gospel. And yet, if we look at the content of what it is they're preaching and what it is they're sharing, I may share with my neighbor that Jesus changed my life. That's a wonderful testimony, but it's not the gospel. I can say to my friends, I've got good news for you. God loves you. That is good news, but it's not the gospel. In New Testament categories, the gospel is understood in terms of a, de- a definite content. And that content is not about me. It's really not about you. The content focuses attention on the person and work of Jesus, on who he is and what he has done. And then it is added how the benefits of his ministry can be received by us in faith. He continues. Now, I think it's good for us to give our, personal, to give our testimonies, but don't confuse our testimony with evangelism. Our testimonies are pre-evangelism. They may be of interest to our friends, but again, my life is not the gospel, he says. His life is the gospel. The power of God unto salvation is not R.C. Sproul's testimony, or my testimony, or your testimony. The power of God unto salvation is the gospel of Jesus Christ focusing on the cross, on the atonement. The message about God's work in our lives may be good news, but it does not, it doesn't include the cross. If it doesn't include the cross, it is not evangelism. It is not the gospel. And he says this. Let me say it again from a different perspective. We can tell people wonderful things about God and how he changed your life and even about Jesus. But if the affirmation of the resurrection of Christ is absent from that testimony, it may be good news, but it's not the biblical gospel. Because the cross of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, are essential elements of the gospel, so that without them, you do not have the biblical gospel. Brothers and sisters, we need to be able to present the gospel biblically. Not just what God has done in our life, but what Jesus has done for us. So first and foremost, we bear witness by proclaiming the biblical gospel of Christ. Secondly, we bear witness with how we live. Some people think that's all i got to do is live a certain way before people, and that's the gospel. I never have to say anything. But we bear witness how we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the way we live ought not to contradict the saving message we proclaim with our lips. If the activities you engage in 
and that you promote and that you indulge in, whatever those are is either an affirmation to what you say or a contradiction to what you say you believe. On the other hand, how we serve God as He's called us to, or how we serve the church, is not about us either. It's about Christ. As uh, Alistair Begg said one time, he says, talking about all these, these men that we, that we read, the ones that are dead and uh, gone with the Lord and have done a tremendous amount of work, even, and men that are alive today, they are just guys. No one's special. We have to remember that. And so when we talk about what we, how we've served the Lord in a capacity, we have to remember it's about Christ. The way we live ought to be com- compel people to respond like Sir Henry Stanley did. When he said of David Livingstone, if I had been with him any longer, I would have been compelled to be a Christian. And he never spoke to me about it at all. So there's a man, David Livingstone, who walked before this man, never talked about uh, his Christianity. And this man said, wow, if he lived any longer before me, I would want to become a Christian. Well, David Livingstone is far cry from what professing Christians are today. This was a Scottish missionary to Africa and a slave abolitionist. This was no face-painting mission field he was on. This was the real deal. He said in, in his journal, Livingstone, 59th birthday. Long way for me away. 59th birthday in his journal. My birthday, my Jesus, my King, my life, my all. I again dedicate my life, my whole life to thee, he says. So what we say, how we live, and thirdly, we bear witness using the, by the means of grace. We bear witness through the various means of grace. What do I mean and where am I going? Two essential means uh, that I'm going to focus on here because we're going to see this happen today. Church membership and believer's baptism. This is how another way we bear witness of Christ. I could go into a lot of detail of both of these, but I won't. Both of these, you have an opportunity to witness. Church membership. When you read church in the Bible, it almost always means local church. Consider some biblical indication of church membership in New Testament times. This is from Spiritual Disciplines Within the Church by Donald Whitney. He says this. I'm going to list all of these for you here. New church, uh, New Testament church practice of keeping a list of widows makes sense in the context of membership. Instructions for church discipline make sense only in the context of membership. Meaning of the words join in Acts chapter 5, verse 13 makes sense only in the context of membership. Meaning of the whole church in 1 Corinthians 14, 23 makes sense only in the context of membership. Instructions for pastoral oversight and spiritual leadership make sense only in the context of membership. The metaphors used to describe the local church, the flock, temple, body, household, makes sense only in the context of membership. And then he gives biblical reasons for joining church. Biblical reasons for joining a church. It proves that you are not ashamed to identify with Christ or His people. You prove that you are not ashamed to identify with Christ and His people. You stop being an independent Christian, 
and you place yourself under the discipline and protection of other Christians. You participate in a stronger, more unified effort of God's people to obey Christ's command and to reach others, the Great Commission. Greater opportunity to use your spiritual gift for the profit of all. Every Christian is, is gifted in a certain way. How are we to use that gifting? Primarily in the context of the local church. How are we in the context of the local church? Through church membership. You demonstrate your commitment not to spiritual hitchhiking, but to the proper working of each individual part in the body of Christ. You encourage a ministry when you consider it faithful and you join it. When you become a member, you turn from living for self and you follow Christ in his local church who died for his people and who is head of the church. So you bear witness when you obey God in this way. And this is from Donald Whitney. I read to you before from Jeffrey Johnson, and he has his list, and here's Donald Whitney's list. All laced with Scripture, by the way. Secondly, water baptism. And I'm moving quickly. So don't stop me, anyone. Water baptism. Ten days after Jesus had ascended back to heaven, the Holy Spirit descended upon the believers at Pentecost. Peter preached to a crowd that was gathered for the feast, about 3,000 souls. Remember, this is Peter filled with the Holy Spirit of God. This is a different Peter than was denying Christ three times. About 3,000 souls turned to Christ from their sins and they trusted the crucified and risen Jesus as their Savior and Lord. They said, yes, He indeed is the Messiah. Then, those who had received His word were baptized. Baptism is a church ordinance commanded by Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. That's, I'm going to read it for us once again, just so we're not, so make sure everyone knows what Jesus says by way of command at the end of Matthew 28. He, Jesus says, verse 18, Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So yes, indeed, we see Jesus commanded it. To be baptized as a believer in Christ is to openly identify oneself as a follower of Jesus. You know, it's a crazy thing to consider that there are people involved in the transgender movement and whatnot, pagans, that are dogmatically willing to say, I'm identifying as this or that, or they or those or whoever. But we have Christians who won't even get baptized, and it was commanded by Jesus. What's wrong with that picture? Are you an adult? Are you a Christian? Have you been baptized? No. Are you ashamed of Jesus? Are you ashamed of him? Are you embarrassed? Believer's baptism. And I say adult because children, 
we must be careful with, and we will walk alongside them, those who are under the age of 18, case by case. Can't dogmatically say no. I will not dogmatically say yes. So it's case by case, prayerful. So when I say adults here, talking about the context of who we are right now, the local church, not written down just by way of thinking. But adding room, I'm not being dogmatic on that. But I'm pointing out to you adults who know better. Because Christ's word commands it. If you're a committed Presbyterian, that's something else. We can talk about that. We disagree. Because it's not in the scriptures. Believer's baptism is. Believer's baptism, instituted in the Gospels by Jesus Christ himself, celebrated in Acts, explained in the epistles in Romans chapter 6. Explained in the epistles in Romans chapter 6, and that's where we're going. And we're gonna, I'm going to give the explanation of baptism here before we go down for the baptism. We find no biblical evidence of anyone being baptized in Christ before repentance of sin and trusting in Jesus alone for the salvation of their souls. Let me say something else here. As we go to Romans 6, maybe you say, well, I was baptized before I was a believer, but I'm a believer now. What do I do? You get baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ. What you did before as a Christian is absolutely meaningless, worthless. Water baptism. uh, Romans chapter 6. Verse 3 for us. You do not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Okay, so, so far, baptism, the believer is declaring their identification with Jesus Christ in his death by going down into the water and being buried through baptism, immersion, or submerged, fully submerged, and the resurrection coming out out of of the water Baptism, saying, I identify with Jesus Christ. I am dead to my old self. I have been raised to walk in the newness of life. And we remember that baptism saves nobody. It is commanded after one is a a Christian to be water baptized. It is an ordinance of the local church. Lord's Supper, uh, baptism. An outward public sign of an inward spiritual reality. Is symbolic. But he who has died is free from sin, verse 7. Verse 8, now if we had died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. He is risen. For the death that 
He died, he died once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. So consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So as we consider that, and we consider uh, conclusion here, the Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus Christ. The apostles, filled with the Holy Spirit, testify of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, are to testify of Jesus Christ. With our words, the proclamation of the gospel, how we live, and the various means of grace connected to, specifically connected to the local church, a baptism and membership, testifying of who Christ is and what he has done. I'm going to pray for us. There's not going to be a benediction. And then we're going to make our way down to uh, the baptismal and witness our brother being baptized. Lord, we thank you that you indeed give us the Holy Spirit of God. You have called us to testify called us bear witness of Christ. We cannot do that without your help. We try to do that on our own strength. We're weak. We're in the flesh. God, we, we need you every hour, every moment of the day. Lord, as I asked the question at the beginning, how is our witness? How is our testimony of Christ to a lost world? Please uh, help us in that. God, we also pray that any who hear who do not know Christ, that they hear the gospel today, they'd know that they're lost without Christ, that they are dead in sin, and the only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ, and they must put their faith and trust in Him, turning from their sins, trusting in Jesus and Christ alone for the salvation of their souls. And Lord, as we witness our brother today being baptized, we pray that that would also serve as a testimony to what you have done in his life for the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.